Well, good morning. morning. It's good to see you today, Waven. Good to see you. Glad you're here. I want to welcome those of you who are uh, joining us right now uh, from an offsite campus or maybe uh, one of the venues uh, here at the Long Point campus or on the internet. I know I was on the internet with you last weekend uh, while I was away. Good to have you here. Uh, glad everybody is, uh, is prioritizing honoring God uh, today, this morning, this weekend. Um, let me start with a question. How many of you um, would agree with me that timing is everything? Would you agree? Timing is everything. Um, do you know what this is? Ever seen one of these? Let's see if I can make this work. Seen one of these? How many of you know what this is? How many of you took piano lessons when you were younger? You know, what's, what's interesting is that, that's, that'll drive you crazy right there. Um, I took a picture of this and put it on Facebook and Instagram yesterday. And what I was amazed at is how much pain that this causes in people's lives. I had no idea. No, I, I thought I was the only one, you know. Um, but uh, this is, you put it on the piano or whatever instrument you're playing. But I, was, I learned to play piano when I was a kid. And this helps you to stay in time uh, with the intent of the uh, composer of the piece of music that you're working on. And uh, uh, so you don't get ahead, you don't get behind. And have you know that a beautiful piece of music can be ruined by bad timing because timing is what? Timing's everything, right? Um, It's not just music. How many of you would say that you have said the right thing at the wrong time ever in your life. Anybody done that? How'd that work for you? Is that good? Uh, Some of you did it today on the way to church. And uh, timing is what? Timing's everything. Uh, With uh, telling a joke. You ever told a joke that just didn't go? You gotta do that in front of thousands of people. That's that's because timing is everything. How about investments? Have you ever invested money somewhere and pulled it out at the wrong time? I think, whenever I think of that, I think of the, uh, the Apple story, you know, Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak starting Apple, but it wasn't just the two of them, it was three people at the beginning. A guy named Ronald Wayne was also a co-founder of Apple, and he got cold feet after just a few weeks, and he sold his 10% share of Apple for $2,300, which would be worth today somewhere north of $30 billion, because timing is everything. Would you agree with that? Have you ever missed an opportunity because you didn't step up at the right time? You didn't get the guy or the girl. You didn't get the job. You didn't save the day and you regretted it because timing is everything. Well, today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about timing. I want to talk about time in general. I want to talk to you about opportunity, the difference between seizing the day and losing the moment. We're in a series that we're calling Messy uh, faith, and it's a series on Esther. It's been a great series. Love it. Love the book. Great story. Contemporary, even if it's, you know, thousands of years old. And if you've been here every week, you've kind of been tracking along. If you haven't been, let me bring you up to, up to date real quick. The book is in the Old Testament. Um, it's written about, the setting is about 450 years uh, before Jesus comes. And so Israel is under, Israel had been taken captive by a Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. Babylonia would be current-day Iraq. And then Nebuchadnezzar is overthrown by a Persian king, 
uh, and Persia is modern-day Iran. Uh, Now, when the Persians uh, overthrew the Babylonians, they allowed some of the Israelis to go back to Jerusalem. Some of them went, they rebuilt the temple uh, and rebuilt the wall, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. And, uh, uh, but some of them stayed back. And they were still in Babylonia, including a young uh, woman named Esther, uh, whose family stayed behind. Uh, Jewish girl, she's orphaned. We don't know what happened to her family. We do know that she is adopted uh, by her cousin, uh, Mordecai, who becomes, Mordecai, who becomes her, um, kind of her surrogate father. And he tells her to hide her Jewish roots. And somewhere along the line, she ultimately becomes queen, uh, which is a major thing. I mean, I just, I just said somewhere along the line, so the Jewish girl becomes queen. That's a big, big, big deal. You know, she's a nobody, and she becomes the queen of the most powerful uh, country in the world. Uh, how did it happen? She appeared on a season of The Persian Bachelor. And uh, several bad guys in this story, worst of which uh, we learned about last week, Haman. Uh, Haman is this narcissistic political opportunist who hatches a plot to wipe out all of the Jews from the planet. He gets mad at her cousin, Mordecai, and decides, I'm just going to wipe out all Jews. Not just him, and wipe out all Jews. Well, she, uh, nobody knows she's Jewish, so this is kind of an issue that will come to play uh, in, in a few minutes as we tell the story. Uh, Esther's cousin, Mordecai, gets wind of Haman's plot, and he challenges Esther that she may have won the Bachelor King's heart for a higher purpose than just romantic evenings in a hot tub, a little wine, the, you know, the, the rose, uh, and uh, to live a fairy tale life that probably doesn't exist anyway. I hate that show. I, I just do. Uh, and I feel so bad for some of you who love the show uh, in the fact that The Bachelor did not pick a wife this week. Nah, 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 nah. You know, it serves you right. How do, you, how do I know? I didn't watch the show. My wife told me. And so, <laughs> so anyway, Mordecai challenges her to step up. Esther, seize your destiny. Use your feminine charm and influence the king to save your people from destruction because this is your time. And she's reluctant to do it for good reason. Uh, it could backfire. Uh, she could lose her life. It could be exposed that she's Jewish. All kinds of things could happen. In fact, um, the next verse, it's on your outline sheet, kind of brings us up to date with where we are today. Esther 4 and verse 12. It says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, what words? The words that said, hey, buddy, you know, it's easy for you to say to step up. I, uh, I got a little problem with that. It's going to be dangerous for me. He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place because God is faithful. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. One of the most powerful phrases for such a time as this. I mean, there have been books written. There have been many sermons preached. And I want to preach another one today on such a time as this. I preached a sermon similar to this to the women's conference. How many of you were there at Chosen? Women at Chosen? I've added some things to it. This will be so much better. 
And so I want you to listen uh, because I want to talk to you about time. I want to talk to you about such a time as this. I want to talk to you about your time. I want to look at this passage uh, to do it. First thing I want you to be aware of is this. God has a time for each of you. God has a time for each of us. Mordecai says, who knows, Esther? Maybe you were created for such a time as this. Esther, this is your time. God has a destiny for you. You were made for more than just to be some guy's sexual fantasy. This is your time, he says. God had a time for Esther. And she's remembered for it. In fact, this weekend, right now, all over the world, Jews are celebrating Jewish holiday Purim. You know what Purim is? Purim celebrates the story that we're talking about today. Purim is the story of Esther, of the deliverance of the Jews from sure destruction. And, uh, and it's a holiday forever after, after Esther, for such a time as this. God has a time for you. God has a time for you. Now, let me break God's time for you down into two types. I hope you'll understand this. It's helped me to understand just a little bit the time that God has for us. The first time is a life-defining time. God has a life-defining time for you. God has a time for you. What does that mean? That's the thing that you'll be remembered for at your funeral. You say, let's not talk about funerals this early on a Sunday morning. We don't like to think about it, do we? Newsflash, you're going to die. Okay, let that settle in. Okay, the mortality rate is hovering right around 100% here in Mount Pleasant. Don't know how it's doing in Columbia, you know, wherever, but that's what it is here. You're going to die, and when you die, they're going to say things about you. Some of your friends, family will get up, say some nice things. Somebody might say, you know what, he or she was, you know, what I remember about them is this, and it might resonate with a whole bunch of people, okay? Oh, yeah, I remember that. That's what, that's who he was. That's who she was. Life-defining time. Esther, we remember Esther because she saved the nation. We remember Abraham Lincoln because he um, preserved a nation. Uh, if you're Scottish, you remember Will and William Wallace, you know, freedom, you know, skirt and all that kind of stuff. You just remember that stuff. Uh, why? Because they stepped up. Some people call it being briefly brave, briefly brave. Not, not that you're cowardly in other times, but sometimes there's just this great moment where you, you act in ways that you other times wouldn't, and you step up and you save the day. It might be in small ways or big ways. It's your life-defining moment. Now, sometimes life-defining uh, times aren't appreciated until later. Let me tell you about another Mordecai. Okay, there's Mordecai in this story. How many of you know who Mordecai Ham uh, was? Anybody know Mordecai Ham? Anybody here? Mordecai Ham? Let's see, there's, is there anybody? Anybody? One or two? Okay. Yeah, there we go. Who was Mordecai Ham? Uh, how about this? Let me give you another name, see if he'll put it in perspective. How do you know Billy Graham, who Billy Graham is? Anybody know who Billy Graham is? Okay, Mordecai Ham is the guy that preached the message the day that Billy Graham got saved. It's the defining, life-defining time or moment for Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham did all kind of other things in his life, but if you'll Google him, it'll say he's the guy that was leading the revival, preached the message when... Billy Graham. Did he know that at the time? No, he didn't. He was just doing what he normally did and something happened and, and that became the life-defining uh, moment. I, I, I thought about somebody else. I was reading a story the other day about a mother 
Uh, I'm not even sure that, that her name was mentioned. I don't even think she was mentioned, to be honest with you. But it was assumed that she was in the story. And because uh, she lived a fairly mundane and certainly anonymous life, we don't know who she is. But one routine act of love that she repeated daily, making her a lunch for her son, got her mentioned in the best-selling book of all time. It was her life-defining moment. The story's in John chapter 6. Uh, you can read it later. You know the story. Uh, Jesus is preaching. There's, you know, thousands of people there. And the disciples come to him and say, hey, everybody's hungry. We need to get them something to eat. There's no place here. You need to send them home. And Jesus says, you do it. You feed them, okay? You feed them. So we can't do that. There's not even McDonald's. There's nothing out here, you know? can't get him anything. And Jesus said, figure it out. So one of the disciples said, all we've got is a little boy's lunch. A little boy's lunch. A couple of fishes, a few loaves. And Jesus took that little boy's lunch. You remember it. Fed 5,000 people. Broke it. Blessed it. And multiplied it, which is what Jesus does when we give him what we have. And so this, this, this mother woke up in the morning. She made her son's lunch. Everyday thing, what she was created to do. She made her son's lunch. And that lunch became the thing that defined both herself and her son. Got him in the best-selling book of all time. Often your defining time will just kind of sneak up on you like that. Oftentimes it grows out of a crisis. And that's exactly what happened with Esther. We've got this massive national crisis. Okay, somebody's going to, maniac's going to wipe out the Jews. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Esther's Jewish. She's hiding it. It could impact her, her entire family. What are we going to do? God gives her favor in the midst of a crisis. It says she was in a royal position. How'd she get in the royal position? God put her there. God put her, had very little to do with her. God put her there. You may very well be in a crisis today. You may very well be in a crisis. I know that in a crowd this big and as many times as I'll be speaking to as many people today, um, there, are, there are several who are in big-time crisis right now. Can I suggest to you that this could be your defining moment? That God may very well have given you favor, and I, I want you to listen to the rest of this message kind of with that mindset, that lens, that God may very well, this may be your time. This may be your defining time, okay? So we have a life-defining time. If you serve God in your life-defining time. Well, let, me, let me give you a second one. Let me give you a second one. And that's life-encompassing time. Life-encompassing time. Um, it's different than life-defining, which is a moment in time. Sometimes we know when it's coming, sometimes we don't. Life-encompassing time is, is, is all of our life, and I kind of get this from Acts chapter 17, verse 26. On your outline sheet, it says, God began by making one person, and from him came all the different people who live everywhere in the world. God decided exactly when and where they must live. Put yourself in that verse. You're not the first one. You're one of the many, many billion later. But it says that God determined and decided when and where you would live. You could have lived in 1862. You could have lived in the year 1010. But you live right now, 2014, wherever you happen to be. And God knows that. And God has a purpose for you. And your life encompasses, your time, this is your time. Do you get that? This is your time. Your time is, is, is the, the, the dash between two dates. You, know, you were born this date, you died this date, the dash that's your time. 
for such a time as this. It's your time. It's all, it, it's all time. What are you going to do with it? You were born for a purpose. God has a purpose for you. How do you find your purpose? How do you find your purpose? Some people waste their life-encompassing time looking for their life-defining time. I see this all the time. Yeah, what, what is it? What is it? What's the thing I'm supposed to do? What is it? What is it? What is it? I don't know what to do. I'm not doing much right now. I'm waiting for my time. I, I'm looking for my time. So glad for Rick Warren a few years ago who wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, which kind of defined five purposes. And I think it's great that you don't have to move somewhere, go somewhere, wait, that you can serve out the purposes of God every day. Do you remember what the purposes are? My purpose is to worship God for every one of us. That's what you're doing today. We came together to worship, but you worship with your money. You worship with your time. You can worship God every day. Uh, your purpose is to connect with other believers. You weren't, you weren't built to be in a vacuum. And that's why we have small groups and missional communities in, the, in our church so that you can connect with other people because that's how you live out your purposes. You were made to grow every day. We have spiritual disciplines and every day we grow in the Lord. That's your purpose. You were made, but it's not just, again, in a vacuum. It's so that you can serve other people. You, you're, you were made to serve in the church in the community, in the world. We're all responsible for that. And then, and then you, you, your purpose is to share your faith in, in your own unique way. Okay? Those are the purposes of God for you. That's your life-encompassing purpose. If you will serve God with your life-encompassing time, he will set you up for your life-defining time. Does that make sense? You don't just sit around and go, well, what's my life-defining time? No, you, you do this stuff. You serve God every day with your life-encompassing time, and he'll set you up for your life-defining time. God has a time for you. Let me give you a second thing that I think about time. That's this. There will always be reasons that now is not the time. There will always be reasons that now is not the time. Reasons are just excuses in a prettier package. Would you agree with that? Kids have the best excuses, don't they? Um, so, uh, I, I was uh, looking on Facebook the other day, and a, and a mother had... Um, put a question out there and asked people to, in the responses to answer it. And she said, what's the funny ex- funniest excuses that your children have made for not doing their chores? Okay. I thought, well, this will be good. I'll read some of this. Here's some of them. One mom wrote in and said, her little child said, I have a migraine. And they were rubbing their uh, <laughs> belly. Couldn't do, the, couldn't do their chores because they had a migraine right here. Uh, somebody else wrote, uh, you know, I don't do it good. And you just have to do it over anyway, so let's just skip time and save time and skip the middleman, okay? I thought, that's a bright kid. I, I, that's a bright kid right there. They're going to go somewhere. Then this mom, this mom says this. She says, my son was two, and he said, these hands aren't for picking up toys. They're for hugging you. <laughs> now, I thought that was pretty good, too. But is there anybody else in the crowd that goes, I doubt a two-year-old said that. Anybody? Uh, but it's on the internet. It must be true. Okay. <laughs> we get creative with our excuses on why now is not the time. I want to step up right now. It's not the time. The truth is, if it's important to you, you'll find a way. If it's not, you'll make an excuse. Would you agree with that? And so, and so Esther has some reasons she has some excuses. Now, hers are better than most of mine. 
Look what she says. She says, all the king's officials and all the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to the king. She says to Mordecai, there's some really good reasons. Why now is not the time. I know you think this is the time. Now is not the time. There must be a better time. Because, she says to him, you know the law. Somebody goes into the king, un, you know, like invited, then the law is they die unless the king extends the golden scepter and spares their life. And she says, I can't do that. She says, it's been 30 days since the king invited me in. I want you to think about that just a minute. This is the, this is the girl that, the, the, the beauty queen that, that won the bachelor contest that, that the king was so infatuated with. Oh, I, I gotta have you all the time. All the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. And now some time has passed. And it's been 30 days since she's been invited in. You know what that tells me? It's probably somebody else. It's probably somebody else. It may be another 30 days or she may never get invited in again. The best time for her to save the kingdom would have been when the king was infatuated with her, but the king isn't infatuated with her anymore. This is not the time, she says. It's not a good time. I could die. You know, as I was reading that story, I thought, there will always be a dangerous king between you and your destiny. There will always be a dangerous king between you and what God has for you. The king that was between her and her destiny, his name was Xerxes or Xerxes. There's a name for the king that's between you and your destiny right now. His name is fear. It might be fear of failure. What if I step out and it doesn't work? It could be a fear of the unknown. You know, I... How's this going to end? I, I, I'm a planner. I like to know how this is going to end, and I, I don't see that real clearly. Might be a fear of provision. What if, what if there's not enough resources to meet needs of my family and I? Could be the fear of rejection. That's what a lot of us deal with. What, what are other people going to think about me? Might be the fear of commitment. Will I be able to keep my word? Will I be able to keep the commitment that I'm going to make? Might be the fear of death. What if I die while doing it. Now, usually that last one's pretty exaggerated. <laughs> Very seldom us stepping into what God has for us will require our death. For her, it was true. For us, we, we give the king power. We, we put the scepter in the king's hand. We legitimize the king through fear. And what I've discovered is that most of life is lived under less than ideal circumstances. If you're, if you're gonna do something, You've got to do it when it's really not a good time. But we have excuses. What are excuses for you? What, what are your excuses that now is not the time for you? It might be, well, I'm too young. Or I'm too old. Or I'm not talented enough. 
or I'm not attractive enough, or it's too dangerous, or I get nervous when I speak, or there are other people more capable, or I left my lip gloss at home, or it's the wrong time of the month, or the kids are too young, or the kids are too old, or I don't have a husband or wife, or you wish you didn't have a husband or wife, or, you know, I mean, on and on and on and on. You can always find reasons not to step up into all that God has for you. Here's the problem. There are consequences. It's not about you. It never has been. And with Esther, Mordecai reminds her, you know what? The safe thing for you is not the safe thing for everybody that kind of looks to you because it's not about you. He says, if you remain silent, relief and deliverance for the Jews will, will arise another place. In other words, God is faithful He'll follow through. It might not be in your lifetime or my lifetime, but he'll rise up. But he says, but for you, you and your father's family will perish. So the consequences of Esther not stepping into her time for such a time as this, for not stepping into it, was her family may suffer intensely. And that may be the same thing for you. For not stepping into what God has for you. It might be your family. It might be your church, it might be the company. God has a time. There will always be reasons why this is not the time. Let me give you one more. If you step up when you know it's your time, God will always step in at exactly the right time. When you step up, when you know it's your time, God will step in at exactly the right time. I hate that. I wrote that. That's my, that's my wording. I didn't get it out of a book. I wrote it. I hate it. I think it's true, but I don't like it. Let me tell you what I like. I like God to step in, and then I'll step up. <laughs> right? You understand what I'm saying? God, you step in. It's kind of like, like Israel. Remember this story? I'll go back. Israel getting ready to go into the promised land. And they have this big, massive river that they've got across at flood tide. And they'd done this once before. Uh, Moses, uh, they'd gotten to a river, you know, earlier in their journey. And Moses had smacked that bad boy with a rod. And God stepped up and, you know, uh, parted it. And you've seen the movie. And, uh, and, and they go through. Okay. And I like that. The second time through, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And God says, okay, here's how I want it to be. I want the preachers, the worship leaders, all of them. I want them at the front of the line, and I want them to just walk toward the water and just step into the water, and somewhere along the journey, I'll step in. If I'm at the head of the line, suddenly I've got a rock in my shoe. Hey, let me get this out, right? Go on, go on, it's all right. I'll get this because I want God to step in and then I step up. You got that? Sometimes that happens very seldom because the principle is when you step in at just the right time, God steps up. Sometimes we have to step, step into our destiny before we get the Holy Ghost tingles. Woo-hoo, I'm feeling God, I'm feeling God here. Let's go in. You know, what's interesting is in this book, God isn't even mentioned. There's, there's, there's no mention of God in this book. 
Some churches couldn't preach from this book because it's not exactly, you know, I mean, you've got to mention Jesus just exactly right. You've got to, you know, critique the pastor for, make sure he preaches the way that he preached in the church that you left. Okay, that kind of, doesn't happen here. I thought that was funny, but it doesn't happen. It's never even mentioned in this book. In fact, we don't even see very much evidence of him until Esther steps up. And when she steps up, then the miracles start to happen. Um, it's funny. Uh, I was talking to a guy uh, a few weeks ago, not from this church, from somewhere else. And uh, he, uh, he'd heard me speak. And so he came and he shared his dream with me. He had this dream of what, what he thought his time was. His life-defining moment. And it sounded exciting. Very expensive, but exciting. And so he's sharing his dream with me. And I said, well, why don't you step into it? And he said, because I'm waiting for a miracle. So what kind of miracle do you need? I need a miracle of provision. At that moment, I began to sense that I was his miracle. Not, not, not from my point of view, from his point of view. That I, that I was a cash cow somehow that would be his miracle. And so he kind of laid it out. And I explained what I just did with how God normally works. And it uh, wasn't what he wanted to hear. And I, I said, here's what you need to do. You need to take your next step. What's a, it doesn't have to be a big step. You can be right at the edge of the water. It can be just a little step. But what is your step? You take a step. You step up. And God will step in. So let me ask you. Is there something that you believe to be the will of God? Something that you know that he's leading you to do and you're waiting on a miracle or you're waiting on a sign or you're waiting on somebody else to do something you're gonna be waiting for a long time what do you need to do you know it could be as something as simple as a conflict conversation somebody has been wounded in a relationship either you or another person i love how the bible says it one of the gospels it says if if your brother has something against you you get up from the altar, you go deal with that, and then you come back and offer your sacrifice. And then another gospel says, if you have something against your brother, then you get up and you go. And you go, well, no, those aren't congruent. No, those are the whole picture. Nobody has an excuse. And people get wounded all the time. All the time. And we deal with it no differently than the world does. We get wounded. We get our undies in a bunch, you know, and it might be a big deal, Whatever. And then we walk away. We change churches. We change small groups. You know, we do, do, oh, everything's fine. I love Jesus. No, you're wounded. You're wounded. And you know the will of God is to go and deal with it. And you may know that today. So what are you going to do about that? What's your next step? Or maybe it's to honor God with how you handle your money. You say, I'm waiting for a boat. I'm waiting for a miracle. Well, take your next step. What can you do? Or to get help with a habit. Or maybe to downsize so that you can live out of your values. Some, some people are, you know, that, that's not everybody, but some people that's where you're waiting on. Or maybe it's to be a part of changing something in the world that's broken. Or maybe it's running for office. Or maybe you think you're waiting on God and actually he's waiting on you. And so watch Esther. What does she do? She gets it. Okay, this is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. And so in the next verse she says, Go. And gather together all the Jews who are in Susa. That's the place where she lives. And fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. In other words, this is not a social media fast. This is a real deal. She says, I don't want you to eat anything. I don't want you to drink anything. So the first thing you do when you know it's your time and it's a difficult thing to step into, get a prayer team. Get some people to pray for you. Two or three people. Don't go on Facebook, say, my husband's a jerk, I'm going to have a conversation with him, will you pray for me? Use wisdom, 
Okay, pray. And they're not praying for the will. They're not praying, oh God, what is your will? They know God's will. Most of the time when we pray, we know God's will. We just don't want to do it. They're praying for wisdom and they're praying for favor. Okay, so, so do that. Then she goes on and she says, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not doing. We're going to fast too. Why did they need to? Because she needed to build up her faith. She needed to build up her faith. How do you build up your faith? Sometimes you need to fast and pray. Why? So that you can just get quiet and get your eyes off of circumstances and onto the Lord of the circumstances. Okay? Building up her faith. And then she goes on and she says, when this is done, I will go to the king. There's a time when it's time to quit praying and get up and go do something. Okay? And she says, I will get up and by faith I will go to the king. And even though it's against the law, if I perish... I perish. So she boldly steps up in faith. Now, you know, sometimes it's a big thing. Sometimes you're stepping up is a really big thing. Sometimes it's just small stuff. It's everyday stuff. Everyday stuff. That when you give it to God, God multiplies it. And he impacts other people's lives. I saw this story. You've probably seen it too, but I want to play it for you. Take a look at this. Our final story begins with a chance encounter between an officer and a gentle young soul. Steve Hartman met them on the road. Here at the Ohio Air National Guard base near Toledo. This is the 180th fighter wing. Lieutenant Colonel Frank Daly still can't believe the honor recently bestowed upon him. It's incredible being recognized uh, in such a manner. It happened at a Cracker Barrel of all places. As the security camera shows, Lieutenant Colonel Daly entered the restaurant on February 7th for an early lunch. At about the same time, eight-year-old Miles Eckert came in with his family. Miles, in the green hoodie, was very excited. He just found a $20 bill in the parking lot. Just sitting there? Yeah. Did you start thinking of what you could spend it on? I kind of wanted to get a video game, but then I decided not to. He changed his mind when he saw that guy in uniform. Because he was a soldier, and soldiers remind me of my dad. And so, with his dad in mind, Miles wrapped the 20 in a note that read, Dear Soldier, my dad was a soldier. He's in heaven now. I found this $20 in the parking lot when we got here. We like to pay it forward in my family. It's your lucky day. Thank you for your service. Signed, Miles Eckert. A gold star kid. Army Sergeant Andy Eckert was killed in Iraq just five weeks after Miles was born. All the kid has ever had are pictures and dog tags. This is his wedding ring. Other people's memories and his own imagination. I imagined him as a really nice person and somebody that would be really fun. <laughs> the dad he imagines must also love a good story. Because after lunch that day, Miles asked his mom, Tiffany, to make one more stop. Excellent. He wanted to go see his dad. Hmm. And he wanted to go by himself that day. She took this picture from the car. Follow the footsteps and you'll see Miles standing there behind the flag, presumably telling his dad all about it. And whether heaven heard him or not, his good deed continues to impress here on earth. You've read it more than once? I look at it every day kid gave you a bigger gift than $20? Uh, a lifetime uh, uh, direction, for sure. Lieutenant Colonel Daly says he's already given away the 20 and plans to do much more. 
He also hopes that little green post-it will inspire other people across the country to give, to give as sincerely and dutifully as this father and son. Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Toledo, Ohio. Great story. Dry your tears real quick. So many levels to that story. I'd love to meet that mom. She reminds me of the mom in John chapter 6 that rather than saying I'm a single mom and what do we do? She's training her child to pay it forward, do the right thing. Little things, little things, little things can be, become life-defining moments. Let me remind you, timing is everything. God has a time for you. There are all kinds of reasons why now is not the time. If you'll step up, God will step in. I challenge you to step into your time for such a time as this. Some of you will step up into politics and help save our nation. Some of you may step into leadership of our church and help shape the future direction of our church. Some of you may step up in the corporate world and help to finance the sharing of the gospel. Some of you may step into athletics or music or the arts or use your platform to influence many. And some of you will do something as simply as to step up in your family and help shape the hearts of future generations. And some of you, all of us, can step up spiritually. Some of us will step up spiritually for the very first time and say, God, I want to become a Christ follower. Others of us who've kind of had a rocky road there will say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re-up, I'm going to restart. I'm going to take a mulligan on this one. And some of us will just say, what is the next step for me to step up spiritually? And you're going to become a flame that sparks a revival among your friends, your family, your school, in your church. This is your time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful group of people, and I thank you mostly for your word. So rich and so full, and it speaks to us so very, very clearly down through the ages. God, thank you for caring about us. Thank you for being so minutely involved in our lives that you caused us to be born at such a time as this. God, help us to redeem that time, to be um, careful with that time, to see that time as precious. And God, I pray that in the next few moments that you would help us to step up each in our own way. In your name we pray, amen.